Welcome to CBJ in 30, the official podcast of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McElligot. Another day, another injury, or two even. Welcome to the Monday Mailbag Edition of CBJ in 30. Yes, two injuries for the Blue Jackets before they take on the Dallas Stars tonight over at Nationwide Arena. It all started in Boston on Saturday. Cole Sillinger was injured before that game was over and didn't finish the game. So Cole Sillinger being out is a little bit of a surprise tonight. Uh, or, I'm sorry, is not much of a surprise tonight. I'm getting ahead of myself. Can you believe it? I'm I'm already ahead of myself. Where I'm at, I'm ahead of that. Weird, isn't it? Anyway, uh, Cole Sillinger didn't finish the game against Boston. I guess it's not a surprise that he's out tonight. He's got an upper body injury. He is considered to be day-to-day. Boone Jenner is out of the lineup. This is the one that is a surprise. He is out with a hand injury. I remember the play exactly. It was in Florida against the Panthers. I'd forgotten what game it was, but when Brad Larson talked about it this morning, uh, he talked about what game it happened in. In the Florida game, Boone was right around the right-wing circle, either in the circle, top of the circle. Somebody took a shot from the blue line. And it hit him in the glove, hit him on the hand. And I remember immediately when it made impact, I panicked inside because Boone has had injuries before where he has gotten hit by a puck standing in front of the net or just somebody shoots it and it hits him. And it's gotten him in the hand and it's caused problems before. And I saw that happen and that's the first thing I thought of. Uh Uh-oh, I hope he's not leaving this game. And there was a whistle. He took the glove off. He flexed his hand. He stuck it back in the glove, and he finished the game. So, not a big deal, right? I forgot all about it. Then he came back, and he played the Tampa game. Not a big deal. Then he played in Boston, scored a really nice power play goal against the Bruins. Not a big deal. So, I thought, but he gets back home, and he gets it looked at, and it is a big deal, or it's going to become a big deal anyway. So, they decided they needed to take care of it right now and get things straightened out. So, Boone Jenner is not only out for just tonight, He's going to be out for about a month, and that really stinks. I don't even need to go into the depths of how much that stinks for this team or what Boone Jenner brings to the lineup and brings to the dressing room. I don't need to go through that with you. If you're a hardcore fan, you've been around here for a long time, you know exactly what Boone Jenner means to this organization. If you're a new fan, you've been around long enough to already get the feeling of what Boone Jenner does for this organization. He's the captain for a reason. As Boone goes, so go the Blue Jackets in many cases. He is a tone setter for this team. He's a quiet guy off the ice. He does his work. He goes about his business. And when the game starts, he's going to give you everything he has for every shift that he plays. Just how it is. He is a lead-by-example guy. And now he won't be there to set the example. So what happens now? Well, what happens now is the Blue Jackets are forced to do something that they have been restraining themselves from doing for the last couple of months. If you go back to the draft when Kent Johnson was picked by the Blue Jackets, not this past summer, but the one before, they took him fifth overall. They took him as a centerman. But there were a lot of questions about Kent Johnson playing center. And most of the questions stemmed from the fact that He wasn't playing center at the University of Michigan. He was playing on the wing and that he hadn't played center in a while, but they drafted him as a centerman. And from that very moment, when asked, the Blue Jackets would constantly and consistently say, we see him as a centerman. When Traverse City camp opened this year, the prospect camp, and then the prospect tournament, Kent Johnson was playing center. When the preseason opened, There were times early on Kent Johnson was playing center. Later in the preseason, he went to the wing. He's been on the wing ever since. It's not a surprise. This is a much better way to go about it with a young player. The center position is very demanding when it comes to playing defense. There's so much more responsibility that you have when you play in the middle of the ice. You've got to play a 200-foot game. You've got to be dishing the puck and shooting the puck in your end or in their end. And in your end, 
you have to be making sure that you pick up your guy and they're not dishing the puck and shooting the puck. You've got to. You are a focal point when you play center. So they took a lot of that responsibility away by putting him on the wing and just let him play. But now they're going to have to move him. And what I like here is that not only are they going to move him to the middle of the ice, but they're going to move him into the prime spot in the middle of the ice. Patrick Line A and Johnny Gaudreau are together again, as the song goes. They've been split up for a couple of games. Last few games, Brad Larson has put them back together. He's trying to generate offense. Hasn't been getting a lot of it as of late. So he's put them back together. And Kent Johnson is going to go right into the middle of that line. It would have been very easy to take Jack Roslovic and put him in there. And maybe he, maybe he does go in there. If things don't work out for Kent, Jack would be the next option. But they could have put Jack in there right away. But instead, they're going to put Kent Johnson there and they're going to give him the opportunity to show what he can do. They're going to give him the opportunity to use his skill. They're going to give him the opportunity to show that he thinks the game the same way that Johnny Gaudreau does. They're going to give him the opportunity to make Patrick Line a better player. There is a wealth of opportunity available for Kent Johnson starting tonight when he goes to the middle of the ice in between those two players. How are the Dallas Stars going to handle it? How is he going to handle them? What's going to go on there? It has the potential to be fascinating. I'm really excited about seeing Kent Johnson get in between Gaudreau and Line A and see what he can do, what he's going to do, what he will do. Very excited about that because there's great potential there. But as the saying goes, you don't buy groceries on potential, meaning you've got to do the job to get paid. And I'm looking forward to him doing that job. Now, he talked after the morning skate today about the opportunity. And, you know, he's excited about it as well. He should be excited about it. He did say that, you know, the bigger challenge, it's not going to be the offense. The offense isn't the big challenge here. This is the defensive responsibilities you have. There are more defensive responsibilities you have when you play center than when you play on the wing. And now you're going to have to do it against a team like the Dallas Stars who can match up very well against you. And they are going to try to get their top players, their top offensive players, out there against that line. Now, Brad Larson will have the last change because he's the home team. But you can bet that, uh, you know, the Joe Pavelskis, who's having a great year, and Rope Hintz, who just got a big contract extension a couple of weeks ago, uh, those kind of players are – they're going to try to get them out there. The Dallas Stars and their head coach, Peter DeBoer, he's going to try to get them out there against the line where you look at it and you have to wonder if you can exploit them defensively. And for Kent Johnson, he's going to have to be good down the middle defensively to make sure that that doesn't become an issue in this game tonight. He's not worried about it, and he's played the center position before. It's it's not like he, he never played there. He played there in Michigan. Uh, well, he played on the wing in Michigan, rather, but he's played the center position before. He's played a little bit in Michigan. He's played a little bit during the preseason here. Um, he's not as worried about it as some others are. So, I, as I said, I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait to see it. Um, we've been talking about this for weeks on end, about whether he should go to the American Hockey League and play as the number one centerman for the Cleveland Monsters, if he should get his minutes that way, if he should get his development that way. Uh, we've talked about, is he going to be a winger? Is he going to be a centerman? There's going to be a lot more answers after watching this game and the next game and the next game. And the games that Boone Jenner is out. As Kent Johnson is put at that position, the questions will begin to be answered. So we're going to find out. Brad Larson also said this morning, remember back when Pierre-Luc Dubois came into the league and he was a winger, not a centerman and he got pushed to the middle of the ice because of injuries, and then he just took off in that situation and uh, never went back to the wing, still playing center, and he's a really good, dominant power center. So for Kent Johnson, here's his opportunity, and this is what he's been waiting for. He's not the kind of guy that would ever come out and say, yeah, I can't wait to get moved to the middle, can't wait to get more minutes in a game. I hope I get to play with Johnny Gaudreau. He doesn't do that. He's just a consummate pro when it comes to what he says and 
What he thinks and what he says might be two different things, or they might not be two different things at all. Heck, I don't know. But I do know this. He's not a guy that's come in and said, yeah, I think I deserve to play on the top line. Yeah, I think I'm a guy that can work really well with Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, I think I'm a guy that should be on the top power play unit. Yeah, I'm a guy that should this or that. He's not done any of that. He's come in, and as is his demeanor, he's been quietly going about his business. And he's done whatever they've asked him to do. I'm sure that there are games that he's finished and taken off his gear and wondered why he's only played eight minutes a game. But he's not said anything. He's just gone out and done it, and he's done the best that he can do. And that's what I expect him to do again tonight. I think he's going to go out there and he's going to do his absolute best. Now, I talked to Johnny Gaudreau this morning about uh, the way that they could read off of each other. And this goes back to a conversation I had with Jake Voracek a couple of weeks ago when uh, Jake and Ken Johnson were playing on the same line. When I simply asked Jake, can you, can you tell what he's going to do? And Jake said, well, I, I can't tell exactly what he's going to do, but I can tell you this. When I have the puck... And I look at him, there's sometimes I think, I wish he would slide about a foot to his left. And he said, and then he does it because he just has a high hockey IQ. So I asked that to Johnny. You know, I said, uh, do, do you feel that uh, that'll be a good thing for you? Because Johnny Gaudreau is a high-skill player. Kent Johnson is a high-skill player. And sometimes you get those two types of players on the ice and they read off of one another. Uh, one can tell what the other one's going to do before they even do it. And, you know, Johnny downplayed it a little bit. You know, he said he's a smart player, and it's not just what he's going to do tonight. It's going to be what Kent does over the long haul and that he's going to get better and and this and that. But I I just do think that there is something to that, especially after talking to Jake Voracek because Jake is such a a no-nonsense guy that just, um, you know, he for him to say to me, you know, there are times I wish he would do something, and then without me saying a word, he just does it. That tells me that Kent Johnson is – is ready to play with that type of a player on a regular basis. And this is no knock on the guys he's been playing with. And he's been playing with Cole Sillinger and Kirill Marchenko, all young guys. But there are times when Kent goes to make a play where I wonder if the other two saw that coming. I think a Johnny Gaudreau will see that coming. I think a Patrick Laine will see that coming. So... Again, it's going to be fun to watch. I think it's going to be borderline fascinating to watch Kent Johnson uh, get to the position that the Blue Jackets drafted him at, a position that they have repeatedly said, we think that he can be a center in the National Hockey League. We think that he can play that position. That's why we drafted him. He's going to be a centerman. Well, he's going to be starting tonight, and it's going to be a challenge against the Dallas Stars, as I said. Uh, Then you got Philly tomorrow. That's on the road, so the matchups are going to be whatever the home team wants them to be. And then you go into Chicago, which those two games seem like, um, on paper, it looks like this one is going to be the toughest one to adjust to out of the three. But if you go with that old baptism by fire theory, this is a good one tonight for Ken Johnson to get into and to play his first game in between Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine. And again, he did it in the preseason. He said that. He goes, I played some of those games, um, you know, in this position and briefly with those guys. But uh, everybody's come a long way since then, especially Kent Johnson. He's come a long way between then and now. So looking forward to seeing this. Josh Dunn has been called up from the Cleveland Monsters. He's a big body centerman. Uh, Brad Larson wouldn't commit to whether or not he's going into the game tonight or if he's just going to put Liam Foody in the game and just kind of go with whatever he can there. So we'll have to wait and see how that whole thing shakes out. But Josh Dunn's been playing well in Cleveland. They always bring up the guys that are playing well. Now, it, it helps that it's that position. It's the center position. But he has been playing well lately. We've seen him. You know, remember when he uh, first got into the league, he came up here and played at the end of the season. Um, again, he's big, which is a plus uh, in the NHL. So will he get in there tonight? Will he not? I'm not sure. But we'll have to wait and see on that one. But. So it's different. It's different today. You know, you're coming off a road trip where you went 0-3. Like, when I went in to talk to Brad Larson this morning, I was all prepared to ask him about how things have changed where this is a team that's had so many problems in the second period of games. And if you look at the Tampa game, you look at the Boston game, that they have gotten through the second period really with flying colors. And it's the third period where there have been breakdowns and it has cost them the game in uh, the third period. But – 
you know, didn't even get to that because the dynamics have changed of everything. But they have. Look, it's not about moral victories. I know that. But they played Tampa well. Doesn't look like it if you just look at the final score. But they played Tampa well. They played Boston really well. And the same is true. You look at the final score and you see Tarasov gives up four. And you think, well, they must not have been very good. No, they were good. They were good. They just weren't good enough against some of the top teams in the NHL. And Dallas tonight is another one of those teams. They're going to have to be really good in order to get the win at home tonight against Dallas. Speaking of Tarasov, he is going to start again. And it just tells you, and I asked Brad Larson about this before the game in Boston on Saturday afternoon. Uh, The way I put it to him was simply, when you have two NHL goalies and one gets hurt, and the other one is healthy, and then you call somebody up from the American Hockey League, the regular school of thought is that the guy that has been here that is still healthy is going to be the starting guy, and the guy that came up from the American Hockey League is going to have to wait his turn. That's just how it is. Because that's normally how it is. Even if it's a starter that gets hurt and the backup elevates to the starter's role and the guy coming up from the American League is in the backup role, that happens a lot. But in this case... Elvis Merzlikens continues to struggle in net for the Blue Jackets. Last time he played was in Florida against the Panthers, and he gave up four in that game. It's not about the number that you give up. It's about the way that the goals are being given up. And if you look at, uh, you know, just the game the other day, Tim Burney goes to block a shot, and it actually goes off his leg, and it falls right to the Bruins, and Tarasov has reacted to the initial shot. Now he's out of position, and the puck's in the back of the net. So it hasn't been the number of goals. It's been the way that the goals have been given up. And Daniil Tarasov has been the more solid of the two guys. And so he is back in the net again tonight. And that might be a little bit of a surprise, right? Because of the formula I just said to you earlier. Usually the guy that's in the NHL stays as a starter and the other guy has to wait for his turn. But Daniil Tarasov is making his turn come about more frequently because of the way that he is playing. So I would imagine Elvis will get the start in Philly tomorrow, being that it's a back-to-back with travel. And then by Friday in Chicago, who knows? Maybe it's whoever plays better today and tomorrow gets the opportunity to make the final start before Christmas. But I don't know how all that's going to work. But Tarasov is hes getting good reps right now. He's doing good things. He is catching the eye of the coaching staff. So that's what we're looking at tonight with the Blue Jackets and the Dallas Stars getting together for the first time this year. Now, if you have a question for me, you can send it to me in a couple of ways. You can just uh, tweet it to me, at Bobby Mac Sports on Twitter. Or if you're live on Twitter Spaces, what you can do is you can request to be a speaker. And once you request it, and once I grant that request, then you can just come right on and ask your question live. It is just that simple to do. Let me show you how simple it is by allowing Jordan to do that very thing right now on Twitter Spaces to come on, unmute, and ask the question. So, Jordan, welcome to the Monday Mailbag. It's good to be here. Sorry it took a little – I took maybe about a week off from being on the uh, Twitter Spaces, so – Well, you're allowed. There's no – you know, you're not contractually obligated or anything, so it's okay. You know, my question, like – Everybody asks, even when I, I was looking on Facebook and some people were talking to potential for Bo Hobart, are those trades going to be realistic or do you think it's not going to happen if if one of our guys gets ever traded, like when the trade deadline comes? I don't think when the trade deadline comes, this is a team that is adding. I think it is moving <laughs> players out for to playoff teams. I, I don't think it's adding. No, I, I didn't think so either. I, I kind of looked at it, and I was like, you know what? I I knew some people were asking some good questions, but, you know, I like how Kid Johnson is. Like, how do you think Kid Johnson's going to feel tonight against the Dallas Stars with him in Boone's, taking Boone's spot? How do you think he'll How do you think he'll do with Goudreau and Lonnie? I mean, I think it's a 50-50. I mean, it's pretty good, pretty good chemistry. I, I don't have a concern about the chemistry. I'm more worried about the defensive side of it and – what kind of pressure he's going to be put on is going to be put on him in that role than offensively. I think offensively he's going to be absolutely fine. I think he's a really good puck distributor. He's got a guy that he can give it to on either side. 
that'll give him choices. Um, as I was saying earlier, I think that high skill level players know how to read off of other high skill level players, and I think the three of them will uh, will match up pretty well when it's all said and done. Yeah, I, I really don't have any any concern about them on the offensive side. On the other side, you know, Kent's been playing the wing and. Uh, there are defensive responsibilities, but as a center, you really have got to be a 200-foot guy at both ends of the ice. So um, so we'll see how that goes tonight. I, I think that's where he'll have to make more adjustments. I, he won't have to make offensive adjustments. He'll only have to make defensive adjustments tonight. Right. And even even like with Tim Bernie, and of course, uh, <laughs> I, I got to imagine, I've been watching a few games where Bernie and uh, Branson are working together to kind of help Tarasov in some spots. I think, you know, it's our defense that's got to, maybe put a little bit of effort. And I think Brad's trying to tell him, you know, we got to learn how to protect our net minder and protect the uh, puck from ever going into the net. It's, it's sacrificing the body right there. That's what I think our defense has to do. You know, when you don't have bean or you don't have focus on there or a net camp in that same situation, you got like a few guys that are hurt. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And, and, and I think they've done a pretty good job as it, as of late. And the, the combination that you just talked about, that uh, pairing of uh, Tim Burney and Erica Branson, I've liked them. I, I think Tim Burney is – I know I just said that he had a puck go off him that resulted in the goal the other day, but he's trying to make a play. And I have no problem with a guy trying to make a play whatsoever. He is uh, – he's been kind of quiet back there, and I say that uh, as a compliment to him because a lot of times when you play the kind of game that he plays, the only time he's really noticeable – is if he's making mistakes, and he hasn't made many mistakes. I think he's been good. Uh, good Branson's been very good for him. I think it gives him a lot of confidence to play with a veteran guy like that. Eric Good Branson is showing that he plays better with more minutes. That's just the way it is, um, and and they've been very solid. I've liked that pairing. I've liked the uh, Gavrikov and Bjork pairing. Uh, the Andrew Peak and uh, Jake Christensen pairing has uh, they're fine. But I think if you're gonna, for me, if you ask me to rank them you know, one, two, and three pairs just based on their play. You know, Gavrikov and Bjork probably get the one, Good Branson, Bernie the two, and then Peek and uh, Christensen still trying to figure it out between them. But as they are figuring it out, they're still getting the job done. So um, I, I don't think uh, I don't think sacrificing the body is a problem for any of these guys. I think they're doing a nice job of it. Um, they're doing better. They're doing better than they did at the beginning of the year. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely better overall defensively than they were at the beginning of the season. So uh, I think they'll I think they'll continue to grow in that. And you mentioned Adam Boquist. He's skating again. I mean, he's skating with the team. He was on the ice this morning. Uh, he went on the trip. He was skating. So uh, it, it looks like it's just a matter of time, probably right after the Christmas break, if everything goes well, probably after the Christmas break is when he will get back into the lineup. And then that gives you, for sure, a power play point man. That's nothing against Marcus Bjork. He's done a nice job there. But uh, the one thing that Marcus Bjork doesn't do much of on the power play is shoot the puck from the point. And when you shoot the puck from the point, a couple different things happen. Number one, you could get a goal. Number two, you could get a rebound. Uh, and you can get teams scrambling all over the place. And then you have some pretty good players down low once that scramble begins to take advantage and retrieve the puck and put it in the back of the net. So Marcus has done a fine job, but he doesn't shoot the puck very much, and he probably will the longer that he is in the league. Like right now, if I'm a young player and my job is to distribute the puck and I look on one side and I've got Johnny Gaudreau and I look on the other side and I've got Patrick Laine, I'm probably going to pass it to them instead of shooting it because that is the job. But there are times where the other teams will make sure those guys are covered. They will take those options away from you, and the best option is to shoot and I think as it goes along, he will shoot a little bit more. Adam Boquist, nobody will have to tell him to shoot. For Adam Boquist, he'll still have the options, but he'll shoot the puck because he's a very offensive-minded defenseman. He knows how to get it through, and uh, if he doesn't get it to the back of the net, like I said, he can uh, create a little bit of chaos in front just by taking the shot. So when he comes back, uh, that'll give you uh, a different element back there too. But I really, you know, the defensemen at the beginning of the year, it was an issue. Then you got guys dropping like flies, and you have to call up players from the American Hockey League, and they're just trying to make the adjustments and, and do the best that they can do. And, and at that point, you know, you're just kind of hoping for the best. But I think that they're getting more settled. I think that they're getting more reliable. 
and I think that uh, I, I think it'll continue to get better with that group as we go along. Again, if you want to be on the show, if you're live on Twitter Spaces right now, just request to be a speaker, and I'll be happy to bring you on and let you ask your question. Uh, Charlie Go has this question for me on Twitter. He says, which call-up has made the most of, of the opportunity on offense and defense, and do you think the early season defense struggles just needed time to adjust to the system? They seem relatively fine now. So for the last part of that, Charlie, I was just talking about that. You know where I stand on that. Um, which call-ups have made the most of their opportunity on offense and defense? Defense, I think it is Marcus Bjork getting the – you know, he's running the top power play. That's one thing. But he's playing on the top pair. Uh, and that opportunity is not going to hold if he's not doing a good job. Even though you're injured, that opportunity is not going to just continue to sit there for you if you're not doing it well. So he has uh, – I I think defensively, that's a no-brainer for me, uh, Marcus Bjork. When it comes to offense, um, well, let's look at this and, and see – I'm just trying to think. Carson Meyer hasn't played much uh, as of late. Looks like he's going to draw in there tonight. So he hasn't played much uh, since he's been called up. So I guess I would have to say, you know, Kirill Marchenko's done a pretty good job. I mean, he's got a couple of goals now, and he's just doing the things that they want him to do. They're giving him limited ice time, and they're looking for certain things, and, and I think he's delivering so far. So I've, I've had no problem with his game and the way that he is playing. Ryan Lohr says, I was not able to watch a game this week, but what, from what I can tell, we didn't play terribly. It seems as though we got outplayed by better teams with more skill on the ice. Is that how it looked to you? Uh, yeah, and it was, it was that skill, it was that experience. It was experience more than skill that turns the games in the third period, both in Tampa and in Boston. Well, in Boston, a lot of what it was was uh, the power play. I mean, on both sides. When it was a 2-1 to Boston lead, every single goal had been scored on the power play. So they utilized the skill they have with a man advantage. But, you know, they just, both of those teams, Tampa and Boston, they've done it for so long with the same people, they don't panic. It can be a 1-1 game. They can be down one. They can be tied. and It's going into the third period. It's halfway through the third period. They don't panic. They don't change what they're doing. They just keep on doing the same thing until they get the result. And that's that's what they did. Simple as that. That's exactly what they did. Is when the breaks came, they took advantage of them and they won the games. So it's look, you want to win. You want to you don't want to say, "Hey, we played great for two and a half periods and and then lost." Nobody likes that, but those are the facts. They did play very well against those teams. So there were points where they outplayed those teams in each of those games. After kind of starting on their heels and then having to get up on their toes. I, I thought they did that in both cases extremely well. Mark Correll II says, stop me if you've heard this one. Blue Jackets place a player on injured reserve. At this point, I don't know whether to laugh or cry at the absurd number of long-term injuries this team has suffered. Is this franchise cursed? It seems like it's cursed. <laughs> no, I would not... Uh, I would not say that it's cursed. That's a, that's an easy out, right? Oh, it's cursed. There's nothing we can do. Yeah, of course there's something you can do. You just work harder with the guys that you have. Just Again, it goes back to the old find a way. Find a way with the guys that you have. And right now, you know, you might be able to go back a year from now, two years from now, and some of these players you might say, boy, remember in that 2022-23 season, when there were the injuries. Let's just say Marcus Bjork. I've used him a lot here recently. Let, let's just use him as an example. What if all of a sudden you go, man, you remember when Marcus Bjork got called up because there were like four guys out on the blue line and they had to put him on the top power play because there was nobody to run it, and then they had to put him on the top pairing because there was nobody to skate on the top pair? Remember when he took advantage of that? And look how good he is now. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it's it has the potential to happen, right? It very well could happen. This is invaluable experience. For Kent Johnson, as we've talked about for weeks, to go to Cleveland and play as a top-line centerman, those are great minutes. That is great experience. I think that it would have done him good at different places. But the problem was, 
and now is, that the situation dictates it's not the right time because there's so many injuries here and there's so much opportunity here and the guys you would be playing with down there are now playing up here. So, you know, this makes sense. And now he's going to get a chance to play center. You know, maybe a year from now we go, remember when they had to put Kent Johnson in the middle? Again, this goes back to the old Pierre-Luc Dubois conversation, right, from a couple of years ago. Playing the wing, don't want to give him too much responsibility, want to let him, you know, just slowly get his feet wet in the league. We don't want to put him on the high dive and have him go into the deep end of the pool. We want him to wade in and get comfortable and all that. And then all of a sudden one day, boom, well, now we need him to do this. And he never gives up that position. Maybe that happens with Kev Johnson. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Let's just say over the course of the next four weeks that Ken Johnson excels so much in this position that Boone Jenner is ready to come back, and now Boone Jenner is centering a different line. It's possible. Is it probable? I don't know. I can't tell you until I see a little bit of what Ken Johnson looks like as a centerman in the NHL. But, again, these are it stinks – and you get sick of this guy getting hurt and that guy getting hurt. But when you look at the injuries, this is another thing. You know, when you, you talk about Mark, you talk about cursed. Okay, cursed is, to me, if there are preventable injuries. And maybe you would take it differently. Maybe you would say, well, Zach, Zach Morinsky goes into the boards. Uh, oh, that doesn't happen to everybody. It just happens if you're cursed. Okay, maybe you can make that argument. But I don't. I don't. It's, that's bad luck. You have guys trying to do the right thing and trying to make plays. Zach Wierenski, Jake Bean goes into this category, um, trying to make plays, and then it doesn't work out, and they wind up getting hurt, and unfortunately, it's long-term. Here's another guy, Justin Danforth. When's the last time I talked about him? I should talk about him more because that was a spark plug that was taken out of the engine early this season, and they haven't really recovered from that, believe it or not. Uh, they could use his energy. They could use what he brings, and they don't have it. Uh, but that one, again, you know, just bad luck injuries. So that's the way it is. That's that's the way this season has panned out. But it's usually in these kind of seasons when you look back, you find some answers to some questions that you had, and and you're forced to answer some questions. As I said, Brad Larson for weeks and you've heard me. I've asked him about, uh, you know, Kent Johnson. You played him with Johnny Gaudreau for a couple of minutes in the third period. Looked pretty good. Might you be tempted to go there? Patience. Patience. We want to use patience with this kid. And I understand the patience aspect of it because I understand you don't want to destroy his confidence. You don't want to put him in a situation that all of a sudden doesn't seem to be working, and then he has, uh, you know, he questions himself. You don't want that to happen. So it's been patience, patience, patience. Now, patience are up. Now you don't have a choice. So this is where you get to to test some things. And you get to test a more experienced Kent Johnson than the one you would have had be the centerman in October or November. Much more experienced now. Uh, Let's see. Tommy K. Brad Larson's decision to play Patrick Line on the right side of the power play was the worst thing to do. Finally, when he took the left side... Power play scored four against three and later a one-timer goal. When you have the league's best one-timer on your team, you just cannot waste it. When the penalty kill has to cover that shot, it gives options. Well, first of all, in all fairness, he's not the league's best one-timer. That would be Alex Ovechkin on the power play. Let's be honest. I mean, Patty's shot is similar, but it's not Alex Ovechkin. It's not... It's not giving you the same result as the uh, Alex Ovechkin. So, anyway, look, moving guys around, I, I think sometimes sometimes they're doing it because they're just, when it gets stagnant, they're doing it to look for something different. At the beginning of the year, they've asked Johnny Gaudreau to play on the side he's never played on. So when things aren't working, why not put Johnny back over where he was comfortable with? And you say, well, yes, it takes away the Patrick Line. Well, Maybe uh, maybe you feel that Patrick is getting a little bit too stagnant personally and just doing the same thing, and now you put him over on the other side, he's got to work a little bit harder on the power play. And they can switch, by the way. There's no rule that says, hey, uh, just set up here and stay here the entire time. Those guys are constantly moving from one side of the ice to the other side of the ice. 
So, you know, I I understand your frustration with it, but you understand what I'm saying too. It's it, You're not tied. There's not a rope around your neck tied to the board so you can't go to the other side. You read the situation, the old read and react, right? You read the situation, you can, uh, you can switch it around if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, let me see. B. Spangenberg says, I always hear that so many scouts were in attendance at NHL games and which teams had scouts. Is there a process to notify teams or requirement when scouts are attending? Or how do people know what team had what team had scouts and how many scouts were at a certain game? Well, there's a, uh, you know, they notify the, the PR staff, so there's a seat in the press box. Like, if I want to know how many scouts are at the game or what scouts in particular are at a game, like tonight, I'll go in and there's a board up in the press box and it has everybody's seat listed on it. So I'll just look in the section where the scouts sit and I'll look to see, you know, who's there. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, the number of scouts and what teams those scouts are from are a little bit uh, overblown because there are pro scouts that they're assigned to certain teams and they have to see the team so many times. So let's just say uh old buddy of mine, Ryan Caldwell, who was a defenseman in Syracuse when I was there. He's now a pro scout for the Winnipeg Jets. So Ryan will come in for a couple of games, and, it, and it'll work his schedule around. I think he has the entire Metropolitan Division. So, uh, And that will be in – and a pro scout, by the way, is doing the National Hockey League and the American Hockey League too So, because they're both pros, right? So they're seeing both of those. So they work their schedule around – like they're usually on a regular travel schedule. So maybe Ryan is – let's say Cleveland played a game yesterday – and uh, the Blue Jackets are playing a game today, maybe he will hook those up. And what I'm saying is they're not always there because there's something going on. They're not always there looking at a specific player. Sometimes they are. But a lot of times, especially until you get closer to the trade deadline, a lot of times they're just in fulfilling their job duties, which is you've got to see a team so many times. And you've got to do reports on each team. Again, if you get closer to the trade deadline and you have a team that has a pro scout there and their general manager is there, okay, now, usually where there's smoke, there's fire on that kind of thing. Or if you have a team that has two pro scouts there at the same time, because a lot of times what that'll be is the one has seen this team the entire year and the other one might come in just to double check and make sure I'm seeing what I'm seeing. I want to bring him in because... I want to make sure he's seeing the same thing that I'm seeing. Or maybe it's not another just pro scout. It's a scouting director that's coming in with the uh, with the pro scout so they can look at it and then both make a report to the general manager. Yeah, this is uh, we agree on this. This is a guy I think we should go after. So they notify the public relations department so that they have a, a pass to get in and they've got a seat in the press box. But, um, you know, other than that, that's, like I said, that's the only reason I know who's there on any given night is by looking at the seating chart. I, there's no there's no place you can go and look and see who's going to be where. I mean, we were in Pittsburgh there two weeks ago, and um, Dennis Bonvey, who's he scout for now? He was with Chicago. I don't know if he's still with Chicago. Anyway, he's a pro scout, and he was at our game in Pittsburgh, and we were having a dinner in the media room, and he said he was going to be in Columbus the next night to watch our game against Buffalo. So, again, he, he, wasn't, he didn't go to two games in a row because he's looking at player X that his team might be interested in. He's just going to the two games in a row because that's part of his schedule. <laughs> and, and sometimes and you don't want to go in. Uh, there are occasions you don't want to go in and look at a team just one time. Maybe you want to see them in back-to-back games. Maybe uh, the Blue Jackets are playing Thursday, Saturday at home, and you want to see them play two games in a row. You want to see if, uh, you know, did that guy do the same thing on both nights or uh, against different competition, did he play differently? And you get a chance to look at the other the other team, too. Just because I have the Blue Jackets as my assignment for my organization, I'm also going to watch the Dallas Stars, too. And even though there's another guy that's got the uh, the Central Division, Maybe he calls and asks me a question about, you know, what's going on. So it, it's really, 
I, I don't know how they put together their schedules. I don't know I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I'm just telling you that you can't just look at a list. If I say to you, here's the list of scouts for tonight's game, you can't look at it and go, oh, man, there's 10 scouts there. Something must be going on. No, maybe there are no other games that are going on. That's another thing, too. When you have a game where there's only two or three games going on in the league, you tend to have more scouts at your game because they're, they're looking for a game to go to. If there's no American League game in close proximity, they're looking for a game to go to, so they might show up at your place. So that's the whole, that's the scouting thing as I see it. Again, I've never done it. I don't know how they decide where they're going to go and when they're going to go, but I can tell you throughout the course of the year, they are, you know, they have to see teams so many times. There's those different things that, that they're accountable for. It's not until when you start getting toward the trade deadline and you're really, now you're really, like, okay, maybe I want Gus Nyquist for my playoff run. So make sure that you go in there and see. I don't care how he was playing on the report that you put in in December. I want to know how he's playing right now. So get in there and give me an idea of what he's doing right now. Or, you know, maybe, um, or whoever, it doesn't matter. That that's the, That's the way they work it when that time comes. Yeah, I'm looking to add this guy for the playoffs. We we want to add this type of a guy. Go back in there, see how he's doing. Uh, and maybe they do that without even contacting Yarmo. Maybe they want to see and get a report, and then if the report matches what they think, then they make the call and, and decide if, if they want to talk. So that's, from my experience, guys, when they're coming in on special assignments, it's usually more toward the trade deadline than it is at other times of the year. So I hope that cleared it up or at least gave you some little bit of insight as to what it is. And I don't know how many guys are going to be at tonight's game. I'm not sure. I won't know until I walk in this evening. I do know that if you request to be a speaker on Twitter Spaces, and if I grant you that permission that you can come on the show and you can ask your question live, or you can also do as some others have done here and just get on Twitter and write your question out and send it to me at Bobby Mac Sports. Jonathan has requested to come on the show and ask his question. Jonathan, how are you? Good. How about yourself, Bob? Good, thank you. Great. Um, so I had two things I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit with you. And the first is, like, I, I uh, know the talk with Bo Horvat and all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, should we trade for him? I mean, and my, my thing is, why would you give up assets for a guy that you could sign in the offseason? I mean, again, like, okay, you get first crack out of him over any other team if you trade for him, but if there's a good chance he's going to UFA regardless of who he goes to. So, like, why wouldn't you just wait and try to get him then if, if you think he would sign with you anyway and not give up any assets? Seems to make a lot more sense to me. Well, right. I, I think a player in that situation is you, you pretty much want to have a sign and trade, right? I mean, you want, you want to know going into this, hey, is this something that we can do? Because we're not interested in now to the end of the season, especially with the way – this season is gone. We're interested beyond this to work in with the group of players that we see as long-term solutions for what we have going on here. So is, are you going to be a long-term solution? Because like to me, if he's a player like that, if you're not going to be part of the long-term, why would I go get you? I why I would have to have some kind of an indication that even if I have the first crack, I'm going to get it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to take much of a chance on that. I, in fact, the way things are right now, there's no way I, I that would be way too risky to do, in my opinion. Oh, for for sure. I mean, to, it, it, to me, it makes no sense. Like I said, you're you're not worried about getting him before the season's out, you know. So getting him for the last couple months is not something that you're worried about doing. So you know, like I said, if 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 he is interested in coming to the Blue Jackets, I think you will have just as much opportunity for that come his ufa status come the summer as you have of trading for him and having him sign because there's only been what matthew kachuk is like the first to ever sign and trade that actually happened that way something like that i think right but here, here's another thing though no you could think that and then he could go to a team that's in a playoff run and he could have a a really good run or decide that this really fits in well and then decide to stay there too so you, you might you might think you can get him later and and you're not going to get him later so i again i just think it might be the first sign and trade, but you know what? To me, the NHL is like that. Somebody's got to do it before other teams will do it. You know what I mean? This 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 league seems so close to the vest. You know, it's like every year they talk about offer sheets. And 
how many offer sheets have ever been given given out and how many have been accepted and the guy's gone to another team? You can count it on one hand, right? It's like nobody wants to do it, but somebody did do it now, and that opens the door for somebody else maybe to, to feel a little bit more comfortable in doing it. But I, I'm not going after a player like that unless the only way I'm doing it, especially if I have to give up a first-round pick in, in this draft, which I don't think that that they would be wanting or, or even willing to do. Um, the only way I'm going to get a player like that is I have to know you're going to sign and you're going to be here long term. We're not we're not playing this game again in a couple of months. For sure. Uh, then the another name that has gotten very little attention so far, but I I think Frank Cervalli thought he would be moved before the deadline. That also might be available come summertime, especially would be Dylan Larkin. Do you have any thoughts on? any form of likelihood of that. I know he said that he doesn't see himself playing outside of Detroit, but most players will say that regardless. So here's what I think the problem is with Dylan Larkin. He's the captain of the Red Wings. That's going to be a tough nut to crack. I think Um, if you're Detroit, how do you let that guy go anywhere? But with that being said, I, if that's a guy in a certain, you know, in that situation were he to be available, I would be all over that in a heartbeat. For a couple of reasons. You need centermen. You need top-line centermen. And his best friend already plays on this team. I think it would be a, a better sell having Zach Wierenski here than I think that would give you an advantage that other teams wouldn't have. Um, but I, I just – I could you imagine, like, Steve Eiserman was the captain of the Red Wings, and could you imagine him going anywhere else or them not finding a way for him to stay there? And now he's the GM, so I, I don't know – how that could possibly happen for him to move. But if he were going to move, that is a player that, you know, personally I'd love to have and I think would work out really well here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the last thing I wanted to say real quick, uh, I hope that, that the Jackets do well in the playoff lottery. They're not in the play, the uh, draft lottery, but it'll make me really sick if Chicago gets it after having three cups and Taves and Kane and then they just immediately get another you know, generational talent. I just, that, that, that thought just sickens me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it might sicken you, but they're terrible. True. <laughs> also right. True. And, and they've been deteriorating for the last couple of years. Now they've just decided to be terrible. So it's not like they're, you know, it's not like they finished 14th and somehow they pulled a rabbit out of the hat and they jumped up the first. I mean, if they get it, they've worked for it. No doubt. For sure. For sure. Oh, thanks Bob. All right, Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show today. All you have to do is request to be a speaker if you're live on Twitter Spaces, and I will bring you on, and we can chat. You know it's getting to the uh, latter half of the show. I I know it is because that's when Irwin usually makes his request. I think I think he. What do you like? You like to be the anchor man, Irwin. Like if you were in a shootout, do you want to be that third shooter, the guy that has a chance to send everybody home happy. Is that what it is? That's a possibility. That sounds good. <laughs> sure it does. How are you? Well, usually I just like to find out what everybody else has said first. I don't like to uh, come in and repeat something that's already been said or already covered. Well, if you go first, then they have to react to you. Ever, did you ever think about that? Uh, that could be true. That, that, that could be true. Uh, a couple of things. You were talking about scouting. I'm not sure how hockey works, but. Like if you look at baseball, you have two kinds of scouts. You have your amateur scouts. And what they're there is they're, they're looking at a kid who's maybe 17, 18, 19, and they're trying to figure out what he's going to be like at 21, 25, or 28. And that's kind of a tough job because it's low pay and lots of travel. And then you have your advanced scouts, and they follow teams around. Let's just say for the sake of argument that uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to play the Philadelphia Phillies in two weeks. They have advanced scouts that go watch them maybe uh, two weeks in advance so that they're, they're seeing the current roster, and they try to figure out certain things. And I think the most notorious advanced scout was the Dodgers scout, Jackie Moore, who followed the Oakland A's around for six weeks. And he noticed that every time Dennis Eckersley went to three and two on a header, he'd go to his backdoor slider. Kirk Gibson remembered reading that in the scouting report, and everybody knows what happened afterward. So maybe in hockey, you have your amateur scouts, and then you have your advanced scouts, your guys that are actually watching teams 
to determine tendencies and what they do in certain situations. Yeah, it's a little bit so, different. You're, I mean, it's it's basically the same, but there are pro scouts and amateur scouts, and yeah, when those pro scouts are doing the. They might go in to watch. Um, they might go into Philly to watch a game and then and send the notes over. You know, hey, here's what the the Flyers are doing different than the last time that you saw them. Uh, also, and I'm sure it's like this in baseball too now because it's like this in everything with the video. I know that uh, our video coach Dan Singleton has to be working ahead several games out, getting the games of like this week. He's already got the games of the Flyers. And he's got the games of the Chicago Blackhawks. And he's gone through them. He's pulled out. The, each coach has a different situation that they are watching and they're they're studying, so that then they can get together and collaborate everything. So he goes through all of that video and separates that stuff, and he gets uh, each coach sent out the clips that they need to see and prepare for that. So yeah, it's it's very very similar. I think baseball has uh, they have more scouts. Like they've got the the national cross checkers, which those guys are a big deal, and then they report to the scouting director. Uh, you know, here the like I said, the, the pro scouting director oversees everything and um, but gets out and sees games as well. And then the amateur scouts, as you said, the amateur scouts in North America, they're they're working the the junior leagues. They're they're in the Ontario League and they're in the Western League and they're in the Quebec Major Junior League and they're watching the USHL and all of that stuff. So uh, yeah, it's it's very very similar in structure. I think baseball just has a, it's been around longer and they're. There, there's more to it. I, I just think they have bigger staffs, but it's all the same idea. Right. Well, one thing that I think is true, whether it's baseball or hockey, they both have a minor league system. I think in both cases, teams tend to overhype their prospects. And I think it's uh, if for no other reason to get the fan base excited. But uh, what I'm wondering, and that's really a question I will ask you, Liam Foody has played, uh, I guess, in about five playoff games and about 40, maybe to 45 regular season games for the Blue Jackets. And to this point, we really haven't seen an offensive upside from him. Uh, do you think we ever will? And how long do you think the Blue Jackets will be patient with him? Well, we haven't even seen a goal. Let's just be honest, right? I mean, he has. Well, we saw one in the playoffs. Yeah, but that. And that doesn't even really count as his first NHL goal, believe it or not. It's you know, just right. the way they keep the stats. Right. Um, I, <laughs> I'm getting to the point where I don't think they're, you're ever going to see it. And how long will they wait, uh, you know, through this year, obviously. Uh, maybe, they, maybe he ends up in some kind of a package if somebody sees something uh, from him. But he just seems to be a guy that's caught right now. Um, he seems to be, to go back to a baseball reference, you know, is, I always like to call guys 4A players, guys that can play in the American Hockey League and they struggle to be consistent in the National Hockey League same way. And I call them 4A because of baseball. You have your AAA guys, they play really well there, then you get them in the big leagues. And, you know, as coaches always told me, and this always happened in baseball, uh, you'd see a guy who would come up, he would play a good game, and I'd say, why is this guy, why is it taking so long for him to get here? And they would say, well, just give him a couple of games. He'll show you why. And unfortunately, I think that's uh, kind of where Liam Foodie is. You know, he gets a chance to get in and play a couple of games, and and one of them will look really good. Then it'll fall off a little bit, and then he's scratched for five or six games, and then he gets a chance to get back in, and he just can't seem to, to grasp it and stay in the lineup. And I'm getting to the point where I wonder if he ever will. I know he battled with an injury last year, so that's, uh, you know, that's a bit of an excuse for last year, but – but as of right now, be honest with you, Irwin, I, I, I don't know how much longer it's going to be. I think he's a great kid. He's got great speed. We always talk about his speed, but, you know, you can be fast as the wind. If you can't score, <laughs> then that's that's eventually going to be a problem. Well, it's like a basketball player who's tall and that's all. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the th Well, one other thing I wanted to point out, I'm going to move on to and close out your show, but uh, – this season just has not really worked out at any time. If you think about the team that they broke training camp with on opening night in Carolina, that team only got to play together for a little more than a period before Patrick got hurt. And then before he could come back, Justin went down for the season. And so we just really, I think as a general rule, have not been very lucky this year. This would have been a much different year if we'd have had Wierenski, if we'd have had Dan Forth, Dan Forth especially. I thought he was very important to what our team was doing. But, you know, it's too early to think about the dreaded draft lottery. It's going to do what it's going to do. 
But if you think about it, of the teams that are right now in that position, the one thing that stands about the Blue Jackets is they actually tried to win this year. They just were the victims of a lot of bad luck, whereas some of these other teams didn't try at all. And I think if there's any fairness or justice in this world, the Blue Jackets should win that lottery because it would be a lesson to other teams in the future. Just because you're trying to be as bad as you could possibly be, that doesn't mean you're going to get that number one pick. That is a really great point. I, I really do like that point. And, then of course, you know, you can't do anything about the lottery because it's all luck of the draw, right? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But anyway, um, you're, you're right. You're right. This is a team that came in here, signed Johnny Gaudreau in the offseason, and thought that they were going to be something much different than what they are right now and are still trying to win games, not just uh, folding the tent when they go out there to play. So that's uh, – you're right. If there is justice in the world, they should be paid off for their hard work attitude. And, uh, you know, you talked about Danforth. I was talking about him earlier in the show. He's an identity guy. I, I didn't say that before, but, you know, he is – we always talk about what's the identity of this team. That's what you want it to be. That's what it's been in the past – and it's easy to get away from that when you lose a guy like him and and you've got your you know, you got your line A's and your Goudreaux's, and that's great. That's the icing on the cake, but you know, the cake batter is the Boone Jenners and the Justin Danforths and when you uh when you start losing guys like that, then it's very easy to kind of lose your way. So that's a great point you make. Yeah, I, I just think the whole idea behind the lottery is to discourage teams from tanking or trying to be as horrible as they can possibly be. And to have the Blue Jackets, say, move up to number one and whoever's 10th move up to number two, to have that happen, I think, would just be a good thing because it would make these teams like Anaheim and, and whoever else say, no, this is not a good idea. Let's go out and do everything we can to be as competitive as we can every single year. Right. No, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, this is – look, Chicago, It's uh, you know, somebody was saying earlier that would be a travesty if Chicago was to get the – the first overall pick. Well, they've done this before. They've already seen that it works. So why wouldn't you do it again? I mean, when they did it before, that's when they landed the big fish like uh, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane and, and went on to win all those cups. So, you know, they know. You look at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had a bottom out so that they could get better. Um, so many teams. Uh, Buffalo, they bottomed out. They were trying like heck to get Connor McDavid. They had to settle for Jack Eichel. That turned out to be a disaster for them. It, well, at the beginning, now it might turn out to be great for them and what they got for them in the trade. So it, it does stink. You're, you're absolutely right. I love the point that you're making because so many teams have bottomed out and it has made them better. They've gotten that generational player that they've needed to really take off a couple of years after that player is drafted. Um, you know, if you could, if it, if it wasn't so guaranteed or so close to guaranteed, then that would probably be a good thing in the overall picture. So we'll see what happens. And, and, you know, where are the Blue Jackets going to finish? Are they going to finish behind Anaheim and Chicago? Are they going to finish ahead of them? And I haven't even mentioned Arizona, so I don't know. But but your overall premise, I think you're dead on with that. Yeah. Hey, you and your family have a nice Christmas. Thank you, Erwin. I appreciate that. Same to you. Have a Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll talk to you after the break. All right. Take care. All right. Erwin has spoken, so you know the show has to be over. That's just a way. That's just the way that it, uh, that it has gone. Again, it's a busy week. The home game tonight against the Dallas Stars over at Nationwide Arena. That game getting underway at uh, 7 o'clock tonight. So make sure you come out for that if you can't make it to the game. Dylan Tyre and I will have the radio broadcast for you. Dylan starts the pregame show at 6.30 tonight on the Blue Jackets Radio Network and also at 6.30 this evening. Valley Sports Ohio will start their pregame coverage. Blue Jackets are in Philadelphia tomorrow night. First of two trips into Philly, and then on Friday, the Blue Jackets will wrap things up before the Christmas break by playing in Chicago against the Blackhawks, one of those dreaded teams, as we were just speaking about, that is near the bottom of the standings and uh, jockeying for the best percentage of chance to win the number one overall pick in the draft lottery in June. So, And, and again, as Irwin said, the Chicago, that's a team that planned that. They planned that in the summertime. The Arizona Coyotes have planned it for a couple of years. The Anaheim Ducks, new general manager, Pat Verbeek, they planned it in the summertime. This was not the Blue Jackets' plan by any stretch of the imagination. It was not. They've been dealt a bad hand. They're trying to play that hand.
to the best of their ability. And how it all shakes out when it's all said and done, who knows? Who knows? But, uh, again, tonight, I think it's going to be fun to watch Kent Johnson in between Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine. Very much looking forward to seeing that happen tonight. As the Blue Jackets take on the Dallas Stars. Again, 7 o'clock game time, 6.30 pregame coverage on the Blue Jackets Radio Network and on Valley Sports Ohio. Have yourselves a very safe and a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. Talk to you tonight.